Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Have you ever made friends with someone from a place you visited as a traveler? Have you ever wondered what it would be like for that person to visit you in your home and your surroundings? Well, that's exactly what Brad Newsham did. Brad is the author of a new book called Take Me With You, A Round-the-World Journey to Invite a Stranger Home. Brad's a taxi driver in San Francisco and feels that travel is the most interesting thing that has ever happened to him. I spoke recently with Brad Newsham by phone from his home near San Francisco and began our conversation by asking him why he likes to travel. What makes it so interesting for him? Gosh, there's six billion people on this planet. I, but, and before I went to visit and have a look at the places that most of them lived, I didn't really understand, I'm not sure I fully believed that they actually existed, but going to their places and seeing how they live, three billion of the six billion people on this planet live on two dollars a day or less, and a billion, one billion of the six billion people live on one dollar a day or less, and that's just a that's a hard concept for our minds to get around. It's almost impossible to imagine living on two dollars a day or one dollar a day, but half the world's population does that, and. That that just tells me, being an American, we we live on, you know, some massive uh, exponent of that of two dollars a day or one dollar a day, and we take it for granted. We think we need more and we have to get more, and just evens things out in my mind to uh, go to a place where people are still happy and still friendly and still very hospitable, even though they have what, by our standards, is very little in the way of material things. Before you began your around-the-world venture, uh, had you traveled much, or was the wanderlust just something that uh, was lurking within you? My first trip was in when I was 22 years old, and I left America for the first time thinking uh, that I might have a month or two months of castles and museums and beer fests. And instead, I wound up hearing from other travelers about all the places that there are in the world to go and how cheap they are, and I started going I started by going to Morocco and then along the Mediterranean to Turkey and Iran and into Afghanistan. And it was in Afghanistan that I came up with the idea back in 1974. What that, uh, brought you to that idea? What, what were the things that led up to it? This is the idea to invite someone to America to visit you. Yes, the, uh, yeah. I, it was a uh, Based on how hospitable everyone had been to me in those countries, the people who have so little, and and how much it had meant to me as a person to see the world, to see, uh, yeah, to see these places, to see these cultures that I had really no idea about before, and I th- I thought travel was the best thing that had ever happened to me, and wouldn't it be the best thing that could ever happen to anyone, and. I thought it would just be fair, it would be a thing worth doing to invite somebody to come and visit America. And as I had been invited into many homes along my trip, and that was in 1974, and it took me a long time to uh, get to where I could actually afford to invite someone. I've had a a string of uh, low-paying jobs in my life, Uh, dishwasher, asphalt paver, construction worker. I've been a taxi cab driver for 17 years now in San Francisco. And it wasn't until until recently when this book sold 
that I was actually able to put $10,000 aside and um, and invite somebody. How did you choose who to invite? Well, that was a tough one. Uh, there were so many great people that I met. I, it, it, on this trip that, I, that I've written about, I went through the Philippines, India, Egypt, Kenya, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, and South Africa, and I met and wrote about uh, oh, man, dozens of characters. And there was a, in the Philippines, there was a man named Tony who led me on a, he was a rice farmer and had five kids and five rice paddies way up in the mountains of uh, the Philippines. And he led me on a three-day trek to where his extended family lived. Uh, they live without electricity, without plumbing. They live the same uh, lifestyle that their ancestors have lived for 2,500 years or so, rice farming. In India, I met a man named Muhammad Ali, who uh, cleans ears for a li- cleans people's ears for a living in the park in New Delhi. In uh, Varanasi, the holy city on the banks of the Ganges, I met a rickshaw bicycle rickshaw driver named Shubash, who peddled me around town for three days. And I thought there would be a certain symmetry to inviting somebody. A, a transportation expert from one part of the world to visit me, a transportation expert here in a, another part of the world. And who else? Oh, there was a kid named uh, Mahmoud in Egypt in the uh, near the Valley of the Kings. I was riding a bicycle one, a rented bicycle one afternoon, and he was riding a donkey, and he says, want to race? And I, so we raced, and uh, I won. And he invited me to his house for tea, and I think I surprised him by going uh, with him and meeting his family. And uh, he, and so he was another person. There was Michael, who was my safari guide in Kenya. He he had perhaps the greatest job in the world, uh, driving people through these game parks. And I thought he would have loved to see America and to see the the West. Um, a guy named Honest George on the slopes of Mount, Tanz- uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. He had opened a closet-sized kiosk on, uh, in his village just a couple of months before I wandered through, and he had uh, become one of the most important men on the mountain by virtue of having opened that, that shop. Now his uh, fellow villagers could get pens and paper and cooking oil and uh, batteries, all important batteries and even Coke and Pepsi in this place. So there was a whole a whole roster of people that I would have loved to have uh, invited. And at one point I thought that if I, if my writing, if my first book, which had been published uh, a while ago, if it had sold a million copies, I would have uh, bought, uh, bought a school bus and driven around the country with all of these people. But it didn't turn out that way. And in the end, I was able to invite one person. So and... how did you select the person who you invited? Well, I wrote, after my trip, I wrote each of about a dozen people four letters, at least four letters. And I only heard back from four of those people. And I think that they had problems with the postal service. Uh, in the third world, you, you don't know if a letter's getting through or not. Four of the, two of those four people who responded told me that they had only gotten one letter. And that one of them, when I sent the fourth letter to him, he said, oh, I've been waiting for your letter. Why haven't you written me earlier? And I had sent him three letters earlier. So I had four people to choose from. And in the end, I I really couldn't make up my mind. How do you make a decision like that? And I put all I don't four, know. That's why I asked. 
Well, I, I actually got it down to two, to, to uh, Tony, uh, the guy in the Philippines, the guide from the Philippines, and um, Honest George, uh, who was the fellow on the slopes of Kilimanjaro with the store. And I, and I actually put all four names into a hat, the, those two and the other two who had responded, and I drew out one, and it was Tony. And as soon as I drew his name out of the hat, uh, I realized he was just perfect. He was it was the perfect decision, and it turns out that he was. Uh, when when we uh, when he came to America last month, we or last summer, we had a month that was just beyond belief. I, there it was a miracle after miracle. There's ten miracles a day of things that happened. Uh, people. People, America just so opened up for him. All my friends, uh, we were on the radio a few times. We were we were on a, 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 one of the national morning talk shows uh, on TV for five minutes one morning, and and people just started showering us with uh, offers of things for him to do and me to do while he was here. Uh, one of my friends from the taxicab business called. Uh, when he heard that Tony was coming, he called and said he had just bought a new taxi cab and that uh, Tony and I were welcome to drive it as far as we wanted while Tony was here. And I said, New York, Washington, D.C.? And he said, as far as you want. And so we did that. Um, so you took a San Francisco taxi cab to uh, the East Coast. Jamie Maddox, the uh, president of Service Taxi in San Francisco, uh, gave us a brand new vehicle. And off we went. Uh, we we had put a, I think, 5,500 miles on it, and by the time we got to Washington D.C., there was uh, twenty thousand six hundred and forty-four dollars and ninety cents on the meter. Uh, it was great fun. Tony, my my visitor, gave me one Filipino peso for the uh, for the ride. But. Well, let's back up, Brad, and talk about what it was like when you met Tony at the San Francisco airport and you brought him into town. What was that experience like for the two of you? Okay, well, I should go back and tell a little bit about our meeting in the Philippines. Uh, he he lives in the valley that I mentioned. It's called Banawe, and uh, it's a very. It's some people consider it the eighth wonder of the world. It has rice terraces that go from the bottom from the riverbed in the bottom of the valley that march in steps up to the rim of the valley, which is 4,000 feet high in some places. This is on the northern portion of the island of Luzon, which is the northernmost island in the Philippine chain. Correct, yes. And Sigourney Weaver actually went there to film a few seconds of the movie The Year of Living Dangerously. And uh, she did that right near where Tony, a three-minute walk from Tony's house. And I went to the same overlook, the same viewpoint where they had filmed those few seconds and and Tony and I were the only two people at the Overlook that afternoon, and we fell easily into conversation and just hit it off, and off we went for a three-day trek the next morning. Um, but six months, well, that's a, another part of the story that I'll, I'll get to in a minute. But when he came to the airport, uh, it, 12 years had gone by since we'd met, and we, both of us were pretty uh, nervous about this. You can imagine, uh, or I don't know if, even know if we can imagine his um, trepidations. He uh, was flying off to, you know, halfway around the world to a whole different culture. He'd never been on an airplane. He'd barely been out of the mountains before, and he was going to see, you know, this guy who he hadn't uh, uh, spent a whole lot of time with and didn't know all that well, even though we'd by this time written each other Oh, 30 or 40 or 50 letters just going over everything and 
so we we, we hit it right off uh, again and uh it was so, it's so amazing to invite somebody to America and to see it through their eyes. And well, I want you to tell us uh, what you saw through Tony's eyes, but first I want to say that this week on Radio Curious, we're talking with Brad Newsham, the author of a recent and very intriguing book called Take Me With You, A Round-the-World Journey to Invite a Stranger Home. Brad met Tony in the Philippines and 12 years later invited him for a tour of the United States in the summer of 2001. So, Brad, what did you see through Tony's eyes? Well, we stayed for a while at a hotel in downtown San Francisco, and so I got to be a tourist in San Francisco. They offered us free rooms, and how could you pass that up? And walking around town, seeing the homeless people, which have become fairly invisible to me, uh, that one morning we walked by a pile of cardboard boxes on the sidewalk, and I saw that Tony hadn't seen the person lying underneath these, you know, sleeping uh, underneath these boxes. And he he literally jumped back when I pointed this out to him. He just couldn't believe it that there were homeless people in America, in the richest country in the world. Uh, and I could see from his point of view, you know, coming from places where uh, people make you know, live on $2 a day, how how could that be? But we all know how that can be. Um, Oh, I got to see lots of scenery with him through his eyes. I got to see, um, we went to Harbin Hot Springs, which is a clothing optional hot springs a couple hours north of here. And it was fun going bathing with, uh, you know, men and women in America wearing no clothes. Uh, It was a whole sort of a flip on the National Geographic uh, syndrome where photographers travel the world to see the the natives, you know, without clothes. And here Tony got to, you know, have the reverse experience. Um, Oh, and and then to see the generosity of Americans, to see how, how we typically, you know, keep a lid on our... Some, some side of ourselves that really would love to share everything we have uh, with with all the um, people of the world or with each other, but we 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 think it can't work. You know, somehow it can't work. If we give give things away, it it won't. Uh, it will be left with nothing. But when somebody comes from another place like Tony, what I noticed happens is that people's generosity is just. Uh, tapped into immediately people someone a friend of mine told me to go buy running shoes and uh or hiking boots for tony's whole family and and send him the bill and i did and uh other people well uh, here's a little vignette tony had been mugged in the philippines about six months before i met him and his eye he'd he'd nearly um died he was left at the side of the road for dead actually until an american missionary put his unconscious body into the back of his pickup truck and drove it of the missionary's pickup truck and drove to manila all took him all night to drive to manila where tony spent a month in the government hospital and had his eye replaced uh and some other work done on him but um so he had he had had his eye replaced with a false eye his 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 original eye was gone. Now he had a false eye. But it looked good when I met him. I noticed that his eyes didn't quite track the way most people's eyes do, but it didn't seem like a big deal. Um, 
when he got here to the airport, I know his 12 years later, his eye had faded. It was discolored, and it no longer fit his eye socket, and it looked it looked bad. And he was very uh, self-conscious about it. One of the people who had heard me on the radio before Tony came called and offered a, and heard about him had offered a free eye exam. And to make a long story short, within a week uh, he had a new eye, a $1,700 state-of-the-art, beautiful match to his good eye. Um, a dentist gave him uh, all sort, you know, thousands of dollars worth of free free dental work. Um, as, as we went across the country, there's just this. We were just showered with things like this: uh, free hotel rooms and restaurant meals, and all my friends wanted to to see him. And every time we we pulled up in front of someone's house in this gleaming San Francisco taxi cab, uh, it seemed like none of my friends had anything but these lit up faces uh usually when i get together with friends we talk about our problems the things that we have survived since we last saw each other but this time nobody had any problems everyone just looked at this and said oh this is so cool brad uh tell us about when you and tony were traveling the long distances the two of you in the taxi um what did you reminisce about what were the impressions of America that he shared with you and you tried to explain to him? Well, you know, it was it was funny. That was the best part of the trip, when we were alone together. And it wasn't so much what we would talk about about America, but we were just pals. And that had probably been our biggest fear before he got here. Would we get along? We had gotten along in the Philippines, but would we get along now, 12 years later, in an entirely different situation? Well, in the Philippines, you were really only together for less than a week. It's true. It's true. Um, so it wasn't very much time at all. But uh, here, you know, we just talked about about our lives. Mostly that's what we talked about, you know, our, our families, our work, uh, you know, our dreams, our disappointments. Well, and, tell us know, about those, your families, your dreams, uh, his families, and his dreams well you know i'm a i'm a working guy and i have a one daughter a five-year-old daughter tony's a working guy he's got his rice terraces and five kids to feed um and our dreams you know everyone hopes for a little more for something a little outside their what they can currently reach they want a larger circle and tony said he certainly was like that Uh, he was thrilled to come here and uh have his sense of the world expanded. He said that uh, halfway across the Pacific on his airplane flight, he realized even before he got to America that his life had changed irrevocably but just by the fact of having gotten on this airplane. Oh, his fourth day in America, we went. Uh, we took up one of the offers that had come in. It was the offer of a free airplane flight, and we went half an hour north of San Francisco, got into this little tiny four-seater, flew up over the coastal range, uh, out over the Pacific, uh, three, 5,000 feet up, flew down the coast a little ways. We took a left turn at the Golden Gate and flew through the Golden Gate Bridge, right over the Golden Gate Bridge, lower than the tower tops, but above the deck of traffic. And I never thought this would be happening in my life. And uh, we flew around the bay, over Alcatraz, over my house. We flew up to uh, Lake Tahoe. And on the way back, Tony, uh, the pilot asked Tony, do you want to fly, Tony? Within two minutes, Tony had uh, 
taken control of the airplane. He later told me that he had been watching beforehand how the pilot used the steering wheel and pumped the uh, the foot pedals. And for 20 minutes or so, he flew across the Central Valley while I'm sitting in the back seat thinking, oh, if this can happen, anything can happen. And uh, it, it was it was just phenomenal. And that was one thing we talked about a lot. When we went to Los Angeles, we visited a, a cousin, an extended family cousin of Tony's, and uh, we had a videotape of that I had taken from the back seat while Tony was flying it. They couldn't believe it. One, that Tony was even in America. Uh, two, that he was flying an airplane, something uh, it was beyond our, our dreams. My cell phone rang uh, about a week into his stay here. The Philippine ambassador had read a front-page article in the Christian Science Monitor about our trip, and he said, when you get to uh, Washington, D.C. in your taxi cab, you have to come to a special reception in your honor. And by the time we did and uh, had our $20,000 on the meter, when we pulled through the gates, uh, we had a great time. It, it, from, from start to finish, the whole trip was fantastic. We talked about you know, everything, skin color, racism, colonialism, uh, you know what what it's going to be like to get old and die um you know what it was like to to live in a a modern culture like ours as opposed to what it was like to live where there's almost no noise and it, what you hear is the sound of rice growing most of the time and rivers running and 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 also about how the the world is sneaking into that culture too you, you know now they have electricity has come to Tony's little village and there's TVs and VCRs and uh just different influences coming from the the big American Western culture. Well, Brad, what kind of uh, communication and stories have you and Tony exchanged since he went home, since your visit? Well, we've actually beforehand we had it took us three letter three weeks to write a letter in either direction, but since then we found a telephone two and a half miles from his house where he can go and we can talk. So we have every month or so. Um, when he went back, uh, we uh, America sent him home with about three thousand dollars, which is enough, he said, to um, remodel his little house into a four-room guest lodge. And uh, so he's not only had a look at this uh, in a sort of a more uh, developed lifestyle, but now he's actually in the process of uh, trying to join it a bit. He hopes that he gets people coming to trek with him, and they can stay in his house. And he's, uh, he, it has changed his life the whole the whole trip. Uh, when the day he got back, the, there was a front page article in the biggest paper in the news in the Philippines about him. Uh, they had heard about his visit to the embassy, and he says that he's for for a month every day. People were just coming by his house, coming by his house, coming by his house, wanting to hear the story, wanting to see the videotapes. Well, and, Brad, uh, if uh, somebody wanted to go trekking with Tony. Uh, tell us how to find him, what town he is in, and what his last name is. Sure. His his uh, town is Banaue, B-A-N-A-U-E, and um, his last name is Tokdan, T-O-C-D-A-A-N. And anyone, uh, if you go to Banaue and, and ask for Tony, who's been to America, everybody will know. They would have known probably beforehand, but now it's for sure that everybody will know. Um and I have a, a website, bradnewsham.com, that uh, uh, you, can, you, we can, you can get a message t- 
to me, and I can get it to Tony if if anyone's interested. And that would be great because that would be wonderful. And he's a wonderful man, and he's a great guide. And and I just guarantee anybody who goes over there will have a life changing experience of their own. Well, Brad, what's next in your personal agenda? Boy, you know, I haven't really figured that out yet. Uh, this has been such a long project uh, from. Afghanistan in 1974 when I decided to do this thing to uh, this last summer, and I'm just still kind of catching my breath, uh, even though 10 months have gone by. I, I'm I spend uh, five days a week with my daughter who's five years old. Well, my wife, bless her, goes off to make uh, the money that really keeps our family going. And I don't know that when Sarah goes to school in the in kindergarten in the fall, I may uh, take on another writing project. I would like to figure out a way to get her to use her, get my daughter to use her new passport. She's itching to to go somewhere herself. So I don't know. I really, I'm still catching my breath. I'm still sort of reeling from Tony's visit myself. Are you still driving a taxi in San Francisco? I do, just about every weekend, yes. I love cab driving. It's like a trip around the world every night. Well, Brad Newsham, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately. Dangerous Beauty. Uh, it was by Mark Ross. He was a, um, he's a, an, an American who moved to Kenya and about 15 years ago and started doing uh, safari guides, uh, is guiding people who wanted to go see the animals. And about three years ago, there was an incident in the jungle in between Rwanda and Uganda where several tourists were kidnapped and some of them murdered by some Rwandan guerrillas. And that Mark wrote an incredible book about one, what it's like to be a safari guide. He really and what what the and about the animals in Africa. He really brought that part of it alive. And he also addressed the question of. For that we could ask ourselves vicariously, what would it be like for us if we were in a crisis, uh, a real crisis? How would we react? And you get to look at what he went through by his recounting of this experience. He became the lead hostage, so to speak, uh, and survived it. And good book. I recommend it. Well, Brad Newsham, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Brad Newsham is the author of Take Me With You, A Round-the-World Journey to Invite a Stranger Home. The book that he recommends for us to read is called Dangerous Beauty by Mark Ross. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org. And I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707 607- 621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.